Hi, this is Donna Otto, and we are Modern Homemakers. Welcome. Thank you so much for all you have been doing and connecting with us. Thank you for your donations. I, I'm, I'm staggered by your love sometimes. I really am. Your emails that are asking questions that you know what staggers me is I've told this story many times, but if you're new to the broadcast, you have not heard me say that our staff 17 years ago said, Donna, we think you should podcast. Because I trust them, I said, okay. And my next question is, what is podcast? That's how new it was. Some of you have been listening to us the entire time. I, I'm stunned by that. But more than that, I was a skeptic. I'm a people person. I'm an eyeball to eyeball. I'm a touch on touch. And through the years, God has continued to reveal to me that his ways are not my ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts. That's what Isaiah tells us about God. And his knowing that we would be in this technological revolution, bringing negative things, but also bringing wonderful, powerful things. And that I can sit in a studio in Arizona and speak words, invite guests, Zoom another person in, and through the airwaves reach all the countries around the world, 33 or 4 countries plus every state and all these and then you send me these emails which are personal and poignant and I think I can be personal and poignant because of God and because of this technological revolution so thank you thank you for restoring to me the reminder that his ways are not my ways and now during this pandemic even more his ways are not my ways and in the next few weeks really through the month of September, we're going to do a bunch of different things, and I'm so excited for them. One of the things we're going to do is I'm going to now switch the tables. I said to you, invite your friends, make your friends our friends, and now I'm going to make my friends your friends. And you're going to meet some of the most wonderful people in the world. They are diverse, they are young, they are old, they are male, they are female, they live in all parts of the country. A couple of them have lived in other parts of the world and are now back to America. So I'm, I hope you'll come and join us. Uh, the shows will be a little longer, I'm telling you that up front. No way that I can give up all my time to a guest. I have to get my two cents in. But more than that, they have rich and wonderful things to say. In the middle of that, I want to talk to you about something that's been on my heart, and it, it has to do with being known. Being known. Have you ever said that to God? nobody knows me? Have you ever said that to a spouse or to your best friend or to a parent? You don't really know me. Have you ever flared with your feelings or emotions about that broad subject? Well, I've been thinking a lot about it. And one of the things that has come to my attention fairly recently uh, is, is the notion of what does it mean to be known and then what does it mean to know? And I want to talk to you in this context of know and be known, of knowing God and being known by God. But is, if that fact comes to be a reality in your life, then I am confident 
that your ability to know and be known by others will increase. You will prove to be a more authentic person. You will be less afraid of being the real you because you will come to embrace the notion that the one true living God knows you. And so as we move into this know and be known and meeting my friends, some of them are, are besties, some of them are distant, some of them I've known in business, some of them are much younger than me. Um, I'd love to have all my groups in, but then we'd have this studio full of gaggling girls who were trying to get their turn at the microphone, and that would never work now, would it? So today I want to talk to you a little bit about this being known, this concept of a friendship with God and being known by God. And out of it comes the Psalm 139, Psalm 139. I have learned that people groups deal differently with their feelings. And I'm, this is a very broad brush stroke, but it, it's not my idea. I, I actually think the idea came originally from Timothy Keller, who was the former pastor of the Redeemer Church in New York City. And he described feelings and divided them by people groups. And the first one he divided, he said, was that people who are very religious. Now, I want to define religious as he was using it, and I want to be sure that you understand that religious has nothing to do with God. Religious is having to do with doing something habitually, religiously. Look it up. Dictionary will tell you that. So a religious person can be a very non-God-centered person. They religiously go to church. They religiously serve in the church. They religiously read the Bible, but don't take it in. They, they are very religious people. And in the end, they come to know a lot. They come to know a lot. But they stuff their feelings. They hide their feelings. They feel that feelings are not to be known. I have a precious friend who I've known for decades. She grew up in that environment, and to this day, to this day, she will let an authentic feeling seep out of her mouth to me, known her for decades. And then a few weeks later, she will call me and say, you know, that wasn't exactly what I meant to say. And it is exactly what she meant to say. But she doesn't have the ability to say her feelings because in her world, you know, she learned, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. And that is not what God means when he says that. He means that we are real people. We have feelings. If, we, if he did not want us to have feelings, he would not have given us feelings. And the other part of that business is that the feeling that's most triggerable is anger. The feeling, all of us, no matter who we are, where we come from, all of us, of all the feelings we all have, trigger is the one, boom, trigger comes right to the top. And anger is not a happy looking emotion or feeling. So if we've let anger be triggered and we've spewed, then we want to stuff our feelings. 
The other side of that spectrum is a secular spectrum. That would be those who either decry God or don't embrace God or don't embrace the sovereignty or the fact that there is one true living God as we do wouldn't embrace the scripture. And they think feelings are the be all end all. And I have to tell you just a little, little story about myself, as I'm often want to do here, but I did grow up in a very religious environment. I mean, my parents didn't love God, and my father um, had been an Italian Catholic. I had a lot of Roman Catholicism, but it wasn't God and, or Jesus. It was that we went there because my mother had to go there because she signed a document saying that if there were any children in this marriage, they'd go there. So we went there. And and so feelings were, feeling, we, we didn't do them. We just, we just didn't do them. They, 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 we just didn't do them. So I learned for many years that they were mine and I kept them inside. And then suddenly I um, had gone to yet another counselor to help me get through all the things I have been through in my life. Some of them put upon me, some of them I allowed to be put upon me, and some of them I did to myself. And I'm not too proud to go to a counselor. I don't think that's the, the first and best choice. Now, I wouldn't say that because I um, love God and his word and know him better and feel known by him. But I went to the counselor. And the counselor said, here, here's a page of words. And there were about 96 or 98 words on there, just words. It turned out they were all feeling words. And the counselor said, so you take this page, I'll give you five minutes, circle the words that you resonate with. You know how many I circled? Two. And that counselor, I can still see his face. He, it was like he was saying, oh, this poor dumb clock has no idea. And he was absolutely right. And in that period of time, I learned this phrase, I feel. And if you would talk to my husband that right now, and he were here in the studio, he would say, oh, I remember that. <laughs> I remember that face. So, so it, when I say the religious stuff it and the secular spill it or spew it, it's because suddenly I was really being very secular. I was really saying the first thing that came out of my mouth was, I feel blah, 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 blah. Well, all of a sudden I knew I had a feeling. And so my poor husband, and he looks back on that, he calls that the I feel season. And he was right. But I was exercising something I had never learned to do. So feelings. I want to read to, to you a psalm. And I'm reading from the new revised um, standard edition. And it's Psalm 139. It's familiar to you, so don't click me off or don't tune your ears out. I'm just going to read it to you in its entirety. And then I want to bring you a couple of ideas that maybe have different phraseology to you than you've ever heard before. We're talking in this series about know and be known. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O oh Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in, behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. And that's the first six verses. And in that, I would give those 
those six verses that he knows me. He is someone who knows me. Did you hear what he says in this psalm? That God has searched me. He knows my thoughts. He knows before I get the word off my tongue what it's going to be. He knows me. And then starting in verse 7, he says, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall be, and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day. The darkness is as light to you. So he knows me. And there is nowhere I can go to separate myself from him. A new house, new friends, new city, it doesn't matter where I go or what I do or what I think or what I say. He is there with me. And then he goes on to say, For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that formed for me when none of them had yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! I try to count them. They are more than sand. I come to the end and I am still with you. <laughs> is that a great picture? Do you love the beach? I love the beach. Like you're sitting on the beach and you're counting the sands. And you've been counting the sands. And how many sands could you possibly count? And even when you come to the end of them, you are still there. After How long would it take me to count the beach? Like one foot of the beach from the beach to the ocean. Just one foot of it. And there are thousands of miles of sandy beaches around the world. Oh, that you would kill the wicked, O oh God, and that the bloodthirsty would depart from me. Those who speak of you maliciously and lift themselves up against you for evil. Do I not hate those who hate you, O oh Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a perfect hatred, and I count them my enemies. And now he comes to the last two verses, which most of you, if you've been in church at all, are very familiar with. We, t we sort of take them out. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. I came to that in this recent encounter with the psalm and thought, when I am believing that I am that known, the known I just described to you, he knows where I am, dark or light, what I'm going to say before I say it, I can't go anywhere to get separated from him. And when I know that, when I know that, and I believe that, then I can say to him, search me. But if I don't know that and I don't believe it, I can't honestly say, search me. I can't. I can't in my truest set of feelings say, here I am, here I am. I know that you know me inside and outside, and I want you to search 
who I am and be willing to submit myself to you. Well, we've seen a lot of crime in our cities in the last few months, a lot of crime in our city, a lot of unfairness, a lot of brutality, a lot of very unkind words loudly shouted and spoken, a lot of peaceful words. When we are in a place of not doing the right thing, we don't welcome the policeman, do we? How many of you have been in your car and you see a police car parked on the side, you slam on your brakes, then the kids want to know what's happened, and you think, I don't want to tell them I was speeding, I, I just want to find some other reason for saying, well, I think there's a policeman following me, because the truth is, you don't want the policeman to search you, because you know very well you were 20 miles over the speed limit. And he already knows that because it's a little magic wand. Or you stole something from the store. Or use something in the back of your car or your trunk that you don't want a policeman to find. When the policeman rolls down your window, you don't say, search me. I think it's quite an indictment to, to, to children when we want them to learn to be honest. When we are afraid of policemen. Why are we afraid of policemen? I've been afraid of policemen. I'm a known reckless speeding driver. I am. People have called me laughingly a heavy foot. Yeah, well, that's just the, the, the tip of the iceberg. Uh, I, I look down the rear view mirror and I look in the back and then I push the speedometer up and I think, I'm going to make a few miles. There's a section between my house and the studio. To this day, uh, it's 40 miles. And I know where I have to do the 40 miles, otherwise I'll get a ticket. I know it. And I do 40 miles. But the minute I'm out of that section, I press the accelerator. Now, what that means is I don't want the policeman to catch me. I'm not really willing to say, search me. Search me in my driving. Because when you search me, I know what you're going to find. And I think there's a part of us that we have to take into consideration when we say, why do we not say to God, search me? Why do we not say to God, search me? Well, Eugene Peterson, who is at home in heaven, got there before I did, and he is the author of the Message Bible. And the year he died, he had given permission to take his devotions and um, devotions on all the passages of Scripture that he had taught throughout his lifetime, ministry, uh, decades. And they created um, the Message devotional Bible. Okay, got that? The Message Devotional Bible. It's a gem. It's a gem. And I want to read to you a paragraph from a devotion that he has written on Psalm 139. The man in this psalm has experienced the scrutiny of God. God knows everything about him, down to the most trivial of details. He knows when the man sits down to dinner, when he wakes up for work, even when he isn't thinking about God, God is thinking about him and knows what he is thinking. Before the man comes out with an original statement on a new subject, God has anticipated it ahead of him and knows it. When he walks forward, he discovers that God is there ahead of him. When he goes backward, God is there too. God has not only infinite knowledge of him, but also an intimate knowledge of him. And, and I come to you as we begin to talk about this subject being known and knowing God 
let me say to you that this God knows an infinite amount about who you are. <laughs> I can still remember being a young woman and coming to the realization that for me to tell God what I had just done was just sort of folly because he already knew it. And for me not to tell him how anxious I was about something as if I could keep it from him. In those days, I thought I could keep it from him because I didn't fully understand this exhaustive love and knowledge that he has for me. The central item in the religious life isn't my knowledge of God, but his knowledge of me. Can I say that again? It's not my knowledge of God, it's his knowledge of me. Not my faltering search for God, but his search for me. God never stops pursuing us. He never stops pursuing us. Have you heard, as I have heard, what we call deathbed confessions? You think God gave up on those people? God is always pursuing us. He is begging us and wooing us and pursuing us because he is always present. He has an aggressive search for us, and his exhaustive knowledge has resulted in a search that makes us understand that we are never absent from God. Never absent from God. I don't know about you, but you're going to laugh when I say this, and I think it's kind of a tacky thing to do. But did you ever pick your nose? Okay, raise your hand if you ever picked your nose. Everybody raise their hand, because everybody's picked their nose. And don't you love it when they're little children, they pick their nose, and they put it right in their mouth. It's like, like, what should we do with this thing? And they haven't even figured out yet that the booger is hard to get rid of if you try to flick it, because it's sort of stuck to your head. It's a common thing, and it's a common thing among all human beings. Yet, how many of us talk about picking our nose? I find that sort of entertaining to me. What is it I'm trying to find out here? That you don't pick your nose? Or what do you do with your booger when you can't get rid of it? And do you leave it under the seat at the theater? Or do you wipe it on the pill? What do you do with your booger? Like, isn't that the silliest, most inane thing you've ever heard a public speaker say? And yet, I think there's something so banal about it. Because it's like we're trying to hide from each other the fact that we all have picked our boogers. There's nothing unusual about it. I read this and wrote it down because it was so powerful to me. We can take the Bible out of the hotel room, take the prayers from the schoolroom, take the Ten Commandments out of the courtroom, and yet we haven't diminished his presence in any of those places because he is still there. And I think we forget, and I think part of it is, at least for myself, I forget because it, it's not so real and present to me. And I think I must do something to help God. So I want to get the prayers back in the schoolroom. And I want to do the Gideon Bible back in the hotel room and on and on and on. And I say to you, we can take his name off the coins, but he is no less present. We can deny him. We can curse him. You can ignore him. You can tell him who is intimately acquainted with you that you are still not interested. But his tender love holds us. His tender love holds us. I had an amazing experience with that word hold. A friend of mine, who will be nameless, although I think you might meet her in the tour we're going to stake, take of my introducing you to my friends, she said to me, 
about a group of women that she knew that I um, had some influence over. She said, you've held them very well. I just started to cry at that. I just started to cry at that. I thought, I never thought about that. I, I felt like I've loved them and cared for them. But she said, you've held them very well, very tenderly. And what I really cried about was the fact that's how God has held me. He holds me. He holds me. He pursues me. He loves me. He knows me intimately. And I want to say to you in the next few days, I want to talk to you about placing God and the knowledge of God on the side of being known more than on the side of knowing. But at the same time, I want you to know something about the greatest piece of knowledge about God that we have, and that's the Bible. And I want to talk to you about the Bible, about its themes, about how it's written and why it's written. Can you acknowledge that you are known by him, whether you like it or not? Can you acknowledge, can you practice the fact that you accept and acknowledge that his presence is with you? Can you listen to his voice? Can you lean in and listen to God? Can you lean in and listen to God? Can you admit that you are known by God? And in that admission, allow your feelings to be expressed to him. I'm Donna Otto, and this is Modern Homemakers. We're so glad you came. I love that I'm getting to know some of you better. Please continue to introduce us to your friends and to write us. We're going to have another book um, opportunity coming up in the next few weeks. But in the meantime, remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make it a very uncommon day of acknowledging how known you are by God.